0: Good morning, church. Hey, gentlemen, next uh, Saturday is our Iron Man conference here at the Vineyard. It'll be from uh, 9 in the morning until about 4 in the afternoon. And it is your opportunity to see if the Bible is true. Because The Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And if that's true, it means that as we come together, we can have a sharpening effect on each other. And go out here with our swords sharpened and drawn and ready for battle. So I want to invite you to come. Uh, if you want to sign up for that, today is the last day to do it here. If you're going to pay by cash or check, it's 20 bucks for the conference. That includes a lunch. And uh, you can sign up in the lobby today or in, through Tuesday. If you do it online with plastic, okay? But we're closing the registration Tuesday night so we can get enough lunches here and stuff. So make sure you do that. There's, uh, we also have some scholarships available, some sponsorships. Uh, some of the guys are so excited about this that they've given money so that if you're a man, a young man, high school through uh, older than me, and uh, 20 bucks is an issue for you right now. You just walk up to that desk and you say, I'd like to take one of the sponsorships. Don't have to fill out a credit app. We don't have to do a home study. Uh, you just say that and they'll give you a card to fill out and you'll be in, all right? Also want to encourage you guys, we have only seven of these books left, including this one. This is a book by Erwin McManus called The Barbarian Way. And I ordered a couple cases of them and uh, they're just about gone. This is a great book for you men who want to be men, who want to step out in your faith and realize that the point of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not to teach you manners, but to make you dangerous. And so this book's for you. It's 10 bucks. It's 15 bucks if you get it from Amazon. So get it from us for 10 for the seven that last. Hey, Mike, would you take this and take it out or give it to somebody so it winds up on the desk? Thanks. Uh, so that it's available, because there's not very many of them left. I want to make sure they all go. <laughs> oh, I guess it didn't make it. All right, there we go. All right. All right. I got a watch here. I don't... <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> all right, men, I hope to see you there next Saturday. It's going to be a great day. Yesterday was a great day, wasn't it? Yikes. I learned I, I learned something yesterday and maybe I just remembered it, but what I what I learned was that the last part of a root beer float is better than the first part. You know what I'm talking about? You know, in the beginning you're they're so separate, you got the root beer and the ice cream and you're kind of working, especially if you're driving, you know. You're trying to work it all together and but then as you continue to abuse the ice cream with your straw, you know. Something good happens in the bottom, doesn't it? Yeah, there's like this amalgamation of wonder and beauty in the bottom of that thing, so you get this kind of gray slush, kind of a glucose quicksand. That's good living there. That's real good living. I remembered that yesterday. I might have been enjoying the moment a little bit extra because I was experiencing a profound level of freedom at the time. By myself, in my car, driving down the road, eating this thing, and more importantly, something had just happened. And what had just happened was I had just dropped off two grandsons that we'd had for the last 26 hours. <laughs> Holy mackerel, age six and three, and they never stopped for 26 hours. Grandpa, can we, can we, can we, can we, can we. yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, oh man, you know that bumper sticker that says, if I knew grandchildren were going to be so great, I'd have had them first? It's true, it's true, but it's not because they're better people. They're just not your responsibility, is the thing. That's what makes them great. Until you have some sort of temporary leave of your sanity, and you say, hey, I think we'll take the boys for a night. Then they are your responsibility. And uh, boy, after that, I mean, we did everything out on the farm. We drove everything, rode everything, built everything. We got dirty, we got clean, we got dirty again. And uh, this went on. 26 hours seemed like 26 days, and they slept for half of it. And So when I pulled away from, I won't tell you which son it is, but his initials are Brad. And uh, when I pulled away from Brad's house in Zanesville for the hour and 15 minute drive home, when I pulled away at 2.06, (laughs) I just had this amazing sense of freedom. (laughs) Window down, A&W, that sounds great, all right. (laughs) Freedom, freedom, that's a great thing, isn't it? Takes us to the second leg of this journey that I've been talking about And that's the journey that God wants to bring us on from bondage to freedom. How many of you know what I'm talking about? God wants to find us in bondage and he wants to lead us to this thing called freedom. I'm persuaded of it. Last week I began a series of teachings I'm calling The Journey. And the reason I want to do this is because I fear that being an authentic follower of Jesus Christ can't be reduced to a formula. It's a process. It's a journey. And there are dimensions of this journey that we want to integrate into our lives. And last week we talked about how it starts in obscurity and goes from identity, how we're no one, and then we're sons and daughters of the living God, how we have no name and then we have a name, how we're lost and then we're found, and we go from obscurity to identity. As we move on today, I want to talk about today um, talk about this idea of the journey also has an f- important facet of going from bondage to freedom. I want to use that passage that Tony read for us a little while ago in Exodus chapter twelve. So let's invite the Lord to come. Father, it's a great privilege to be to be put in this position, and it it's humbling and it's terrifying to think that all these people have come here today and they they don't want to listen to me. They want to know what you have to say, Lord. And so more than anything, I pray that your Holy Spirit would engage us in the the consideration of your word here so that we could leave here having not just considered it in our minds, but having embraced the truth with our hearts. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and show us what you want to say to each one of us about this freedom. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So Exodus chapter 12, verses 31 through 42, which, as I mentioned, Tony read for you just a bit ago. I won't read it again. But we want to start again with the context, because if we're going to understand the Bible, we always have to take time to consider the context. What's going on in this passage before we get too interested in what it actually has to say? Well, the the context is that the Israelites are living in Egypt in bondage, and they're about to be set free. They're about to start an exodus, an exit, a journey. Now remember from last week, we looked at the beginning journey of Abraham, which led him from Abram to Abraham, from obscurity to identity. Well now, if you want to extend this, Abraham did make it to the promised land, and he had a son named Isaac, who had a son named Jacob. And through a series of events, this Jacob's name was changed to Israel, and he had 12 sons, and they effectively became the 12 tribes of Israel. And so that's where we are. Now, one of these sons of Israel, of Jacob, was named Joseph. And through another series of events where the devil meant for harm, God used for good, he wound up in Egypt, and God elevated him to a position of authority where he was used by God to save save the Israelites from famine. And so God was working all of this out together. So now, when you have Joseph in Egypt, now, according to the Scriptures, this is 430 years later. And the Israelites had vastly multiplied in Egypt, but they were also enslaved by the Egyptians. They were slaves, and it was an unfair kind of slavery. It was a slavery, it was a cruel slavery. And it was a cruel, oppressive slavery because the Egyptians feared them. And they feared that their numbers were so great that they could overpower them. And so they made their lives very difficult, cruel, cruel oppression, including the killing of some of their babies, And so this is where they are. This is the context of this passage. And by this time, the Israelites are crying out to God. And their cries had reached the Lord. And he was effectively starting a plan from bondage to freedom. So that's the larger context. The story goes, as we looked at this, as you can see in the very opening verse, that Pharaoh is worn out. God has worn Pharaoh down. Finally, Pharaoh says, Fine, go. Go. Just get out of here. And so God has worn him down. He stood in the way of their departure for all these years, but God visited on him ten different plagues. And after the tenth plague, it broke him. It wore him down, and he said, Go. And the tenth plague was the Passover plague. And that plague was that there was a warning that at night the angel of death was going to pass through all of Egypt and was going to kill the firstborn of every family. But the promise to the Israelites was this, that if you take the blood of the lamb and if you wash it across the doorpost of your house, that this angel of death would see that, would recognize that, and would pass over your house so that death would not visit your house. So that they would be protected from death, by the blood of the Lamb. Hello? Now this was prior to the sacrificial system because Moses says he was just coming on the scene. And so this served effectively as the basis for the sacrificial system that Moses then developed that the blood would be the sacrifice offered to God for his favor. And so this became... This became the basis of the first covenant, the old covenant, the Old Testament, if you will. And what also started on that night was the observance of an annual festival by the Jews called what? Passover, right. And so they observed this annually in order to commemorate, acknowledge, and celebrate the Lord's favor on them when they come under the blood. Now fast forward to Jesus, and Jesus actually used this same meal and this same concept as the foundation then for the development of the new covenant. That he's actually sitting with his disciples at the Lord's Supper. When he instituted the Lord's Supper, he was sitting with them having the Passover meal when he took the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. And he took the cup and he said, this is my blood, not the blood of the lamb. This is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, shed for the forgiveness of your sins. And so that Jesus Christ, and his death on the cross, and the shedding of his blood, then fulfilled, fulfilled every other sacrifice of any lamb, because he is the lamb who was slain for the sins of the world. And worthy is the lamb, yes? Worthy is the lamb, Jesus, who was slain for the sins of the world. And it's because of his shed blood, then, that we have the new covenant. That we have the, the foundation for that. All stemming back to this very, very time. And so when this was happening, then they left. And they left. And they plundered the Egyptians on the way out. They took everything they needed for the journey. And I think this is an incredible point, isn't it? Is that God led them. This is the point. That God led the Israelites out of bondage and into freedom. He led them out of lack They were living in lack, and they left with abundance out of Egypt and into the promised land. This is the heart of God. This is the point, that God means to emancipate slaves, that God means to abolish slavery, that God means to to take us out of slavery and lead us to freedom, out of bondage and to freedom. So what we're seeing here in the book of Exodus is a clear picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Turn in your Bibles, if you have one, to John chapter 8, for example. You'll see a very clear reference to this being the very nature of what Jesus Christ came to do, is to set us free. John chapter 8, I'm going to begin in verse 31. And there it says, To the Jews who had believed him... Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. He said, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That the very nature of becoming a Christian is not to shackle you in religious bondage, but to set you free from all of it, and set you free from sin. And they answered, well, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Ho, 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 ho. They couldn't take you. you saying we're slaves? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. That couldn't be any more clear in our lives, could it? I'm wondering, is there anyone in this room who has never sinned? Just want to be careful to be sure. <laughs> of course, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and we understand the, the pull, don't we, the drag, the entanglement of it, as Hebrew says, the sin that so easily entangles us, the slavery of sin itself. And Jesus wants to do something about that. Jesus wants to come and do something, if you read on. He says, "Now a slave has no permanent place." In the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So he's saying to us, We're slaves, we're slaves to sin. And we don't have, apart from him, we have no place in the family. But he's a son. But he said, A son, a son has a permanent place in it. And he said, The son comes and and he says, So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. You get this? So we're not we're not trying to get out of jail by our own device. But we're, we're, we're following Jesus into freedom because the Son, Jesus Christ, came to set us free. The attention of God is really just to lead you into every kind of freedom, lead you out of every kind of bondage and into His glorious freedom. That's really what this leg of the journey is, is wherever you're in bondage, wherever sin has set up a place where you're in bondage, that the plan of God is is to bring you to freedom. Let's define this freedom a bit. Let's talk about what I'm talking about. I want to say that freedom is anything that liberates us from the bondage of sin in order to restore us to our intended place in the created order. Take a second to take that in. That freedom is anything that liberates us from the bondage of sin in order to restore us to our place in the created order. So in the book of Genesis, in the creation account, God God made us for fellowship. God made us to have relationship with him. And that's how it all began. And in the midst of it, this perfect fellowship with God... We were given complete freedom. Complete freedom. We had the garden. We didn't have to work. We had complete freedom. We had complete freedom. We were fully free with one protective limitation. Right? One protective limitation. God says, you are free. You are free to eat from the garden. You are. Free. I made this for you. I have one protective limitation. Do not eat from this tree. Because if you do, you're going to know stuff that's going to mess all of this up. Now what is it about us? That when God gives us a hundred things and says, but you can't have the one, that we want the one. What is it about us? But it's true, isn't it? And so as you read through, you know that that's exactly what they did. And it was a protective limitation. In other words, that that tree was there to protect their freedom. But we chose, and we have generationally chosen it again and again and again, we chose the thing that God said, don't do that, don't have that, it's going to ruin everything. Well, the redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross begins a restoration process. you got to make sure you get this, you guys. So, when Jesus died on the cross, and you came to God through his son, Jesus Christ, when you came to Christ, then your sins are forgiven, yay! Your place in heaven is for sure, yay! Yeah! So, with all that taken care of, there's also something else that happens, And that is that a restoration process begins. It's a journey. It's a process. But you are being restored to something. And what you're being restored to by the redemptive work of Christ is what we lost in the garden. You're being restored to your place in the created order that God created you for this, sin broke that. Jesus Christ came not only to forgive you of your sins and give you right standing before God, not only to give you a place in heaven, but to begin now a restorative process so that you can have your place in the created order while you're here. So you can get your freedom back. Hello? And so, for example, when we engage in worship, that's what we were created to do, is to reflect the glory of God, yeah? And so when we enter into worship, when we engage in worship, we're taking a space, we're taking a step toward the restoration of our place in the created order, because that's what we were made to do. Because before you come to Christ, you don't want to worship, do you? Say, forget this, I want to get in and out of church as fast as possible, Yes? And you go, oh my God, are they going to do another song? What is wrong with these people? Who knows what I'm talking about? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> but then you come to Christ, and things start to wiggle, don't they? They shift. There's like a seismic shift. And then you find yourself wanting to sing and wanting to worship God. And find it. That's because your place in the created order is being restored by the redemptive work of Christ. What about prayer, and what about dominion, and what about authority? What about this business that Jesus said, I give you authority to go and heal the sick and cast out demons? What about the exercise of authority? Well, that's a restoration of our place in the created order. What did God say to Adam and Eve? I give you dominion over the whole thing. We lost that dominion, that authority, in the garden. Jesus Christ died on the cross, and he said something mind-blowing. He said, I tell you the truth, if anyone has faith in me... He'll do what I've been doing. He'll do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. That's dominion. That's authority. And as you learn to walk in that, you're taking steps on the journey. And freedom is one of those things. That sin is bondage. Yes or no? Sin is bondage. And as we're delivered from aspects of sin in our lives... The Holy Spirit comes and gives us victory over sin, we experience freedom from that bondage. This is the restorative work of Jesus Christ, giving you your place in the garden back. Now, there are certain limitations of this freedom, as indicated by this triangle here. This triangle, which leads to life, that God wants to lead us to life here in the here and now. I want you to just see if you can relate to this idea. At the bottom of the triangle is, you know, before you knew Christ. And you realize that your lifestyle options were limitless, right? You could do whatever you wanted, whenever you wanted, as long as you could get away with it. Who knows what I'm talking about? Go ahead, raise your hand, I dare you. Okay. Of course. There were no restrictions. You lived for yourself. You did what you wanted to. You figured out how to Mitigate the consequences. Mm -hmm. And then you met Christ. And everything changed, didn't it? It's like, oh crap, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't don't want to get drunk senseless anymore. I'm really going to miss those Sunday mornings with my head in the toilet. I'm really praying to Ralph the porcelain god. Roll. I'm really, I, and I just feel like, you know, now that I'm a Christian, that my choice is narrow, don't they? That when you become a Christian, there are certain things that you just instinctively, intuitively begin to know, that's not God's plan for me. And so you're, it begins to narrow. And that as you can become more serious with Christ and start taking steps, you look around and go, well, now it's even narrower so that as you move up that arrow in the center, you find that your lifestyle choices seem to be restricted, seem to be fewer, not more, yes? And you might say, well, that doesn't sound like freedom. That sounds like the opposite of freedom. I used to be able to do all this stuff, and now, as I walk with Jesus, I'm finding that my choices are fewer and fewer. Well, the reason is because whatever it is that falls away is not useful for being restored to your position of authority as a child of God. Whatever falls away is the very thing that is keeping you from true freedom. You see, I want to live right on the top of that thing where I have no choices, because that's when I'm going to be really free. And you're going, Tom, that's upside down. I know, welcome to Jesus. He said, like, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. This sounds just like Jesus, doesn't it? This is is not bondage because those things have fallen away. This is freedom from them. So this freedom actually does have a critical kind of narrowing effect. But with each step we take, we are increasingly restored to our place in the created order, which is ultimate freedom. And you know, in this regard, this understanding of this, brings an obligation for the church of Jesus Christ to oppose sin and to oppose that which is against the created order. Listen carefully. If it's against the created order, it's sin. And by allowing it, then we're actually holding ourselves back from the restoration and limiting our freedom. Now, if the church doesn't speak out against sin, how shall people know? How shall people know? I mean, let's just take some of the more obvious examples. Let's take homosexuality, for example. Why is the church such a big fuss about that? Because it's outside of the created order. That is not how God made people. It's outside of the created. You know what? I don't care if a person's gay. I really don't. I don't even think about it. I'm not going to think about it. I don't know really... Why that makes any difference, but I promise you this, that if it's outside of the created order, it is keeping you from being free. Now, what about sex outside of marriage? Why is that such a big deal? God created sex. Why does it have to be only in marriage? Well, because of the creation. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 21, it says, it says For this reason... It said God made the male and female, and for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. You see the sequence? The union of becoming husband and wife and then be united as one flesh. That's God's created intention. Now, by living outside of that, whether that would be actively engaged in an extramarital affair or in any kind of adulterous relationship or even entertaining pornography and the various ancillary practices that go with that, then you're acting outside of the created order and you're giving up your freedom. You're giving it up. You're effectively saying, I don't want my freedom. The freedom that you crave. You say, I'd rather be back in Egypt. You know, at one point the Israelites were murmuring against Moses as he led them out. And and they asked him this. Weren't there enough graves for us back in Egypt? That's the cry of the Christian church in America. Aren't there just enough graves for me to stay in my sin and not enjoy, enjoy this abundant freedom you're talking about? With each step we take up this triangle, we are opening ourselves up for more life. Uh, Psalm 84 is a great place to go to confirm this. Psalm 84. And in verse 10, it says, Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. In other words... I I just want God. That's my true craving, and that's where my freedom is when I find God. So if I had to give up everything else, any accomplishment, any wealth, any status, I would rather be the guy who opens the door for people in the house of God than to be everywhere else with prominence and dwell in the tents of the wicked. And he said, For the Lord God is a sun and shield, verse 11. For the Lord bestows favor and honor. Catch this. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. If you feel like it's falling off of your range of options, it's because it's not a good thing. Because the Bible says God will not withhold anything that is truly good from you. I mean, if you think about freedom, freedom is just God's invitation to start enjoying your life. You want to enjoy your life or you want to keep plugging along managing sin? We walk along with God and we we receive, we follow him in this journey from from bondage into freedom. It's a journey. You know, from 1780 to 1860 roughly there was a network of of escape houses, safe houses, in our country called the Underground Railroad. Fascinating time in our history where people in the northern free states would actually set up their homes as safe houses for slaves to escape the south. They had to make it to the north. They had to get to the north and they could find their way into these houses and These depots, as they were called, because the people who were there were conductors, and there were all these code words that would get people to the right place. I think it's such a testimony to people that such a risk would be taken by them. It's fantastic. But some estimates say that somewhere in the vicinity of 100,000 or more slaves actually utilized this thing that was coined the Underground Railroad to get either to one of the northern free states or hopefully to Canada, where they could not be retrieved legally. And um, it's all part of this journey out of bondage and into freedom. But if you read around some of that history, you'll, you'll be fascinated by some things, as I was, I think. And one of them was that these slaves who found their way north, they had to learn how to be free, They weren't for sure what to do next. They had to learn how to be free. Many of them were born, and most of them actually were born into slavery. They were sons and daughters of slaves. So they never knew a life that was free. But what they had, they had the stories. They had the stories of the older generation that would talk about a time. When they or their parents lived in some other part of the world and they were free. And they had the stories of freedom. And these stories were all that they had to to uphold them, to keep them going. But then then many of them were faced with a choice. And the choice was, are you going to keep living on the stories? Or are you going to take your ticket on the Underground Railroad? It was a great risk. Are you going to try to escape? And get to a safe house? Or are you just going to try to survive on the stories? Harriet Tubman was, of course, one of the great figures of the Underground Railroad, and one of her amazing quotes is I freed a thousand slaves. I could have freed a thousand more if only they knew they were slaves. They weren't making the choice. It's said that Harriet Tubman used to carry a shotgun with her when she would make these trips down to South. And it wasn't to, it wasn't to protect herself against slave owners. She pointed them at the escaping slaves and threatened them if they chose to turn back. You want out? You want out of bondage? Or do you just want to read the stories? It's a choice. And the journey from bondage to freedom is an opportunity to leave the death life behind and begin to enjoy the goodness of God in the land of the living. It's great. It truly is great. Am I completely free? Of course not. I'm on a journey too. But it sure is great to be this far You have to make a decision. You have to, you have to leave, the bondage. You have to make that decision. I want to leave the bondage. I, I I I want to be done with it. I want I want it to be gone. Or you don't have freedom. Yesterday, I was driving back from Zanesville, and I got almost to two seventy, and. I was driving along and enjoying my freedom. And I went to make a lane change. And I looked over my shoulders. And I saw something in the back seat. And it was the boys' two car seats. I know. I thought, ah, crap. I got to go back. They can't live out. You parents, you can't live without these car seats. It's like you're going to space or something. I don't know, these things. Come on, get in there, kid. Get in there. I knew I had to go back. And I did. As soon as I saw them, my freedom just evaporated, you know? (laughs) The truth is, you can't be free if you've still got stuff in the back seat. That's true. You're not free if the stuff is still in the back seat. You want out? It means you're going to have to clear out the back seat. And that's what God is in the business of doing. Moving people from bondage to freedom. Is it a process? Yes, but it starts with an event. By saying, God, I want to be free. I want to be free from it. I can't manage it. (laughs) Left to myself, I know I'm going to keep circling this drain. But I want to be free. And I just want to say, I want you to come and take it from me. If you're stirred by this message and you want to test the truthfulness of it, I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to do something that's very bold. If you're a person here today and you go, I, I want to be free, I, I, and I need, to tell, I need to tell that to God, I just need to come to God and say, take it, clear it out. If you're a person who feels that stirring, I want to ask you to get up from where you are and come up to this cross and ask God to take away your bondage. You can do whatever you want when you get here. You can stand, kneel, sit, whatever is in your heart to do. The cross of Jesus Christ cancels sin and brings liberty. We're not going to do ministry with you. We're not going to come and lay hands on you. This is between you and God. And you don't need a man or a woman to stand between you and God. You have Jesus Christ.